Blog Talk Radio. The following show is a proud member of the ShowDoc Network. Learn more about this show and other great shows by logging on to ShowDoc.com. This week's episode of The Legal Docket is being sponsored by Blog Talk Radio, The Hyperbole Hour. And by the several guests that won't ever be served. Coming to you live from... What's on your docket? Welcome to the legal docket with Quas and Jay. Tune in to hear their take on law and politics to find out if our government makes the grade. Presented by ShowDoc.com. Welcome to the Saturday night edition of the legal docket right here on Blog Talk Radio. Time to talk some politics and legal issues. Hello and welcome to the show. This is episode 25. For March, we're in March already, March 2nd, 2013. Tonight we'll be talking about the top legal issues and political topics of the week. We're coming to you live tonight from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and from Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ethan Klossman. And I'm Ilya Arvid. Yes, Ethan, as you mentioned, I'm actually here on a freelance assignment in Washington, D.C., but very exciting, right in the nation's capital. I'm located right in between, I would say, the two government powerhouses. I'm located right off of Pennsylvania Avenue, right in between the U.S. Capitol and the White House. No better place to host a legal docket than in uh, this particular location. And I'm glad to be joining you guys from over here while I'm away from my regular place of Staten Island, New York. Yeah, it's great to have Ilya Mott in the nation's capital, and a lot has been going on in the nation's capital, which we'll be getting into during the program. So uh, thanks, thanks for tuning in. Um, we want to hear from our listeners on the phone line, as we always like to. You can call us at 1-347-426-3903, or you can call in toll-free by way of Skype. You can also IM me during the show at JabberChat at EthanClossman at Jabber.org. In addition, you can leave us a voicemail, send us a text during off-show hours by calling or texting us at 315-497-SHOW. It's 315-497-7469. Be sure to text or say legal docket or LD before you text or call. And we got a lot to get into, um, a lot of federal topics and a lot of legal topics as well. Uh, one Supreme Court topic uh, related to gay marriage in California, which we'll get into during the program as well. Really, a lot has been going on. Um, I also want to discuss during the program uh, a Carl Rove, who is a, uh, a who, who um, does does just a lot of strategic things for the GOP. He says the GOP needs candidates who reflect diversity. So we'll, we'll get into his topics as well. We'll cover that during the program. And, uh, yeah, and you can also chat with us over at Blog Talk Radio Chat during the live program as well. Also, we'll talk about John Kerry being on the road, his first trip as Secretary of State. He was in Cairo on Saturday, and he told Egypt's political and business leaders that it was urgent uh, that their country institute economic reforms and satisfy, and satisfy the conditions 
that the International Monetary Fund had set for a $4.8 billion loan. So, uh, so Terry is on the road, as Ilya is, and uh, should be interesting to see how John Kerry handles his first uh, trip um, as part of Obama's second administration cabinet. So we'll, we'll get into that during the program as well. Well, that's exciting to know that I'm not the only one taking a road trip tonight. <laughs> yep, that's correct. I am, I'm coming into John Kerry's territory just as he leaves the territory. That's exciting. I guess he's trying to avoid me. Hey, maybe. <laughs> you don't know. Any case, but let's get right into it. Um, what are we going to talk about first, Wasman? Uh Let's get into um, the federal deficit because I mentioned that in our sponsorship, in our fake uh, uh, prank sponsorship. Um, uh, the federal deficit is uh, a, a big topic of concern. The, the latest budget in passe ushered in the new round of austerity on Saturday, with the nation facing reduced federal services, canceled contracts, job furloughs, and layoffs. The White House and the GOP have traded verbal jabs as the sequester deadline looms. We talked about the sequester a little bit on our last show. Uh, this report coming from the New York Daily News. There's $85 billion in cuts initiated. And um, it's going to cause a lot of gridlock. Right, Ilya? Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's not just gridlock. I, I mean, I, I'm looking for the what the toll is for this. And, and one story that I was um, looking at recently was, uh, you know, there's this, this very prominent group of uh, high-flying aircraft um, performers, which I was actually saw in action, the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. And they go all over the country to all the different patriotic uh, events, and they perform there where they do acrobatic moves with the airplanes. And the unfortunate thing is, due to the sequestering that has been, uh, you know, announced by by the president in order to cut the deficit, um, they're actually having to cancel that altogether. They're having to cancel those those trips, and those pilots will have to be actually assigned to other roles within until this uh, sequestration can be finished. Uh, it's very unfortunate because that's kind of what kept the whole, um, you know, it, it kind of what keeps the country patriotic and they always attend to these events. And the fact that this is something that had to suffer, I think, is, is you know, one very good example of, of something that actually goes right against the very nature of what this sequestration should be. It should encourage people that the country is going in the right direction, but instead it actually does quite the opposite and discourage people. So, you know, the fact that the government can't agree is nothing new, obviously. It's not something that people haven't seen before. And it's unfortunate to see it. But at the same time, what other options do they have? There's very little options that they can offer at this point in time. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, they did the best they could. And, you know, uh, based on how we're looking at the situation, you know, this is just another one of those budget questions, another one of those questions about the, the finances and how they can't agree with it. But, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I don't think this is something that, you know, will impact people right away. But in the long run, as soon as the furloughs start to ca- you know, cash in, as soon as the contracts are canceled, this will have an impact. I definitely think that 
this is going to have an impact in the long run. And people just aren't realizing it. They're not taking it as seriously as they should. Uh, but I think it will definitely have some kind of impact. Now, maybe not right away, but over the long run, I definitely think there will be some kind of an effect that will be noticeable. Yeah, and also uh, getting back to the budget uh, in Passe, um there's talk of um, – President Obama and Congress are planning to reduce the productive deficits by nearly $4 trillion over a decade, a widely embraced goal for stabilizing the national debt, according to the New York Times. The spending cuts uh, began to take effect Friday, known as the sequestration, which earlier mentioned, and totaling about $1 trillion through 2023, come on top of $1.5 trillion in reductions that Mr. Obama and Congress committed to in 2011, two years ago, mainly from the accord that averted the nation's first default. Um, so nearly $700 billion more will result in tax increases on wealthy Americans. Uh, the product of, of the bond December over Bush-era tax cuts and another $700 billion is expected to be saved and projected interest on the reduced debt. So um, if the latest cuts stick, the two parties will have achieved nearly the full amount of deficit reduction over the next decade that economists and market an analysts have, pro have promoted. We all know Bill Clinton is famous for going on talk shows and telling them about how the economy was in the best shape it has been in a long time when he was president. So President Obama... Is, up to him to maintain uh, a similar type of legacy with the economy, but it, it's not going to be easy because uh, there's a lot of gridlock in Washington as well as uh, a lot of debate um, over the $4 trillion deficit reduction deal uh, related to entitlements. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if... Uh, Mr. Obama, as well as several bipartisan groups, um, will be able to call for $1 tax increases for every $2 to $3 in spending cuts. So we'll see what happens with that um, going forward. But uh, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, definitely on, the, uh, on the minds of many Americans and because it, the, it does affect them. Uh, when it comes to uh, the federal deficit and the economy, especially if you're an investor, um, that has to do with that a lot. So we'll see what happens going forward. But um, uh, yeah, I don't. Again, like uh, just like we mentioned, it's a very complicated issue. I don't think it's going to be solved overnight. I don't think it's something that has an easy solution one way or the other. Now. You know, we could argue and sit here and argue whether sequestration was a good thing and, and whether this was a good solution to the budget deficit. But to be honest with you, there was nobody coming around with a better solution at the time. So what what are your options? When you're faced with a decision where you have to make a decision one way or the other, you know, as the president, it must not be an easy decision to make, but it's something that sometimes you have to have the resilience to sit down and say, look, it's not going to be easy but this is something that has to be done. Right. Yeah, it has to be done. Uh, it's, 
and uh, going forward here, um, it's something that uh, needs to be taken care of in order for um, uh, in order for in order for there to be a consensus uh, with uh, the economy. So it's uh, it's certainly a uh, big issue that needs to be taken care of. Um, All righty, let's move on real quick. I got uh, an interesting story here coming out of the, uh, uh, ironically, you know, since I'm here, I figure I'm going to report on news that's around here. Washington yeah. Post, the Washington Post is reporting that uh, the Obama administration is urging the Supreme Court to reverse the California ban on same-sex marriage. Correct. Uh, and, you know, they're looking at it, and the most interesting thing is, is there are three states in particular that, that stand out. Uh, there's, um, you know, th- th- we're looking at it, and not only is California one of the states that is, that is um, you know, a, a point of contention, but we're also looking now at Maine, Maryland, and Washington, which have approved the same-sex marriage laws. They were the ones mm-hmm. who were the first ones to really move ahead in this, mm-hmm. and you know, Washington Post has posted a very excellent article on uh, online uh, about, you know, what are the state-by-state policies. Right. Um, here's an interesting, an interesting fact that I actually uh, never knew. Um, uh, which state is this? I believe it is. Hang on, I'm trying to figure out which state this is. Um, is this Arizona? There's only one state where gay marriage is neither legal nor banned, which is uh, kind of funny. Yeah, there's only one state in the entire union. Hang on, let me just make sure that I'm not, you know, I don't like to give wrong information. And, and for some reason, I just don't remember what state this is. It's in, those, it's in that area where all the states are, and I just want to make sure that, you know, we're giving accurate information on the air. So I will take a look right now and tell you. Uh, New um, Mexico. New Mexico. Right? New Mexico is the only state in the entire union that does not have a legalization, but it's not banned either. So it's, oh. there's nothing on the law that says that those kinds of relationships are illegal. So is there a possibility that, uh, you know, we could see that happening sometime soon? Here's an interesting one. Uh, California actually does have a, a constitutional ban on gay marriage. Yes, it's been trying to repeal it for a long time. But here's one that really stands out in my eyes. Washington, state of Washington. State of Washington. They're the only state in their area that has uh, where gay marriage is considered to soon be legal or already is legal. And yeah. I found that to be really unique because all the states surrounding it have are, are not budging. They're very, they have constitutional bans all around it. But Washington State is very big, and I think it's per- partially because of the population of, of Seattle. And actually, I'm looking at a different map here. It says that they actually allow same-sex marriages. Uh, the only thing that the state of California and the surrounding states provide are domestic partnerships. Uh, most of the states, the middle states, we'll talk about central territory, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, there are no provisions for civil unions, domestic partnerships, or same-sex marriage. In fact, Absolutely. I would say from New York and up, possibly including New Jersey and 
uh, Pennsylvania, mind you, also does not allow civil unions or domestic partnerships. So this is a very, very curious map um, that, you know, it's very, very, I would say, interesting to look at it because this is not something that you really get to look at every day, but you kind of can see where the trends begin and where these trends are going. And so I, I found this to be a very informative. So just those, just those two alone, I think two, two or three little facts alone, are should be enough for people to just come out and say, "Wow, this is amazing." This, this, you know, how can we possibly talk about passing this when not everybody's not even on the same page? Right. So yeah. that's an interesting, you know, that's, that's you an interesting observation here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, according to Wikipedia. Uh, and, and, and it is a credible source for this information. Uh, that's ha- absolutely correct. New Mexico is the only state that doesn't either allow or ban um, same-sex marriage or civil unions. So, um, wow. They have a, yep, they have a state-by-state comparison, and New Mexico is the only one. Uh, so, yep. Well, that's, that's that's interesting, but you know we'll have to wait and see. Here, I got something that we uh, that should be an interesting situation. Um, Mitch McConnell, you know who that is? Yes. We'll give you some. We'll give you some uh, political news here. Mitch McConnell criticized a a group for criticizing the ethnicity of his wife on Twitter. Labor Secretary right. Elaine Chow. He had told some home state supporters at a Republican dinner in Winchester, Kentucky, uh, that the, the group Progress Kentucky engaged in ultimate outrage when it used Twitter to distribute a message making an issue of Elaine Chow's Asian heritage. Uh, the tweet said that McConnell's marriage to Chow may explain why your job moved to hashtag China. McConnell described the tweet as a racial attack against Chow, who was born in Taiwan, and Progress Kentucky has removed the tweet after a Louisville public radio station aired the story. The group issued two apologies over the past week for what they described as inappropriate tweets sent by our organization. And this was as reported by the Associated Press. What do you think, Ethan? Do you think they went too far with this? Yes. Do you think they they went too far? Just how far does uh, does one go about criticizing a politician's views versus, uh, you know, libel and, and actually doing something that is rather, I guess, it would be considered libel based on legal issues, right? Right. Libel? Where, where do you draw that line? Where do you draw the line between his public figure and his private life with his wife and you know, it's a complicated issue, but I, my personal opinion, I think they went too far. I think this was just a little bit, uh, you know, over over the line. Yeah. Well, he's the former labor secretary, am I right? He is, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And he... Uh, uh, and Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell is actually the Senate Republican leader, so, uh, you know, he's a pretty big figure right now in politics, and... You know, it's probably not a good idea to uh, attack somebody that high up in office. So, um, yeah, that, that it's was, always, uh, it's always yeah. questionable when you have uh, these type of 
these borderline comments that are made, uh, especially on social media. Um, Look, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with using social media to criticize a you know a political opponent. There's nothing wrong with attacking his policies. There's nothing wrong with attacking his character when it comes to political policies. Of That's course, how Obama won the election. Well, yeah, you could say that, but at the same time, you know, there's got to be a line drawn because when you start attacking somebody's personal life, especially their marriage and. and their children, I think that's where you've got to draw the line. There's a difference between attacking a person's policies and possibly character of a public figure, which is to be expected of politicians, obviously, and also going over the line and, and attacking them from a personal perspective, which actually has nothing to do with the political perspectives that they may hold. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh... So... That's that's the story from here, and um, another another story I'm looking at right here. Um, this this is coming from UPI, and um, I, I know that uh, this is something that we've been kind of following up on back and forth with um, you know earlier stories about this. Uh, you remember the brief coal cut war that we talked about? Yeah, that was fun. This, this is kind of a recurring issue, and you know now that I'm here in Washington in particular, this is some you know an international issue that keeps on coming up. Now, you know that recently Russia has passed a law banning the United States to adopt kids from Russia. Now, uh, Russia is complaining that the United States handling of an adopted Russian boy's death in Texas has given them serious cause not to trust that the ruling of the, that the death was an accident. Uh, three-year-old Max Shadow, also known as Maxime Kuzman, died on January 21st in Hector County, Texas. Uh, on Friday, Hector County District Attorney Bobby Bland cited medical examiners on Friday when declaring the boy's death has been accidental. Um, apparently, Russia's child's rights ombudsman, Pavel Stokhov, last week accused the boy's adoptive mother of killing the boy and feeding him psychotropic substances. Medical examiners in Texas said they found no drugs in the boy's system and bruises that were on his body on his body were consistent with self inflicted injuries. So, you know, again, we come back to this story. There's more to it obviously, you can read it to yourself, but this is all going back to, you know, Russia's ban on all US adoptions in response to the United States Magnitsky Act, which imposed financial and travel restrictions on Russian officials that were deemed to have violated human rights. So this is, again, this is going back to that back-and-forth struggle between U.S.-Russia that is going on right now, that that power struggle and a political uh, tug-of-war that keeps on going on, and this is just kind of becoming another another one of those um, big politics things. What do you think? you think this kid was used as a martyr? I... As a as a what? As a, as a martyr? You um, gotta think it has to be a, a martyr for a big politics kind of move to say, hey, look, it's right. not just making this stuff up, but here, look, this happens. But again, what it showed, the medical examiner did not show any any uh, you know ideas, but here it comes, you know, representatives of Russia saying, oh, you guys faked it, you guys uh, created the story. It's actually not true. The kid was 
given psychotropic drugs, but then when you ask them for evidence, there is no evidence. So I'm just thinking this is just politics as usual, just using the kid as a an excuse to um, agitate the public even more. It's basically becoming a PR war at this point. Uh, and uh, so this, so there were two deaths, right? There was, um, there was no, one. No, just, just one, just one, just one death. One kid right, who was adopted, yeah, who was adopted earlier, and uh, Russia is, is actually saying that his adoptive mother fed him psychotropic drugs, which was actually found not true by the medical examiner, and uh, they essentially ruled it a, a accidental death due to self-inflicted injuries by the kid. So, again... This occurred, this occurred in Texas? Yes. Yeah. So, uh... And, uh I, I, my, my personal opinion is that this is just more agitation to that tug-of-war that keeps on going on and just adding more fuel to the fire. Wow. Yeah, I agree. And, uh... All right, Quas, let's move on. What else did you have for us today? We announced so much mm-hmm. stuff and then we jumped into completely different topics all of a sudden. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. We have some other stories to get into um, right here on the legal docket. Uh, we talked about Mitch McConnell. talked about same-sex marriage in California. Have we discussed same-sex marriage in California or with the Supreme Court yet? Yeah, we did. That's what, that's what I was talking about earlier. About uh, remember the Washington Post blog, and yeah. um, we we talked about you know how how their Obama administration is pushing California to repeal those and and to actually be progressive enough to put their foot down and say, hey, look, guys, let's embrace same sex marriage. It's something that's been going around all around the country, and let's kind of lead our territory in the way and show them what what you know the progressive way of doing things is. Yeah, and uh, there's some more foreign... We talked about foreign policy with um, the Secretary of State, uh, John Kerry, visiting Egypt, and there's even more foreign policy stories now. Uh, There's more criticism of the U.S. uh, for aiding anti-Assad rebels in Syria, uh, both Syria, of course, and Iran, uh, who always always jumps to criticize the United States, uh, have criticized the U.S., for uh, aiding anti-Assad rebels. Remember, there was a question we talked about in some in some uh, past episodes where President Obama questioned whether to aid uh, the Syria rebel, the Syrian rebels, with uh, with arms. And um, in Iran, Syria's foreign minister criticized the U.S. for pledging support for a political solution to the Syrian conflict while aiding opposition forces. Uh, and uh, this is a big story because uh, it, it's, it's, it ties in a lot of issues uh, related to um, um, the United Nations and and uh, their plan to uh, to get Assad moved from power and. And Syria, which is a big ally of the uh, of, of Iran, lashed out at the United States on today for providing aid to Syrian rebels. As I said before, and this is according to the Los Angeles Times, uh, Syrian Foreign Minister Walid 
Mullahan, hope I'm saying his name right, accused the Obama administration of engaging in a double standard, pledging support for the political solution while helping to bankroll the Syrian insurgency. He said that we know the United States is important, is important and has a role, and if it wants it, it actually can hold the violence and bloodshed in Syria. The diplomat repeated his government's stated willingness to negotiate with armed rebels, even though it labeled his adversaries terrorists in dealing uh, communications. Even those who took up arms can play a role in building Syria's future. I imagine this will be in the minds of John Kerry for a long time. The Iranian foreign minister, Ali Akbar Salehi, hope I'm saying his name right too, told reporters at the conference that Bashar Assad would remain Syria's legitimate president until his fate is decided by voters in national elections scheduled next year. But we know in these dictatorships type countries, these elections really don't matter because um, it's going to be a, 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 uh, an overpowering regime anyway. And uh, Is that your opinion or is that the LA Times' opinion? It's my opinion. I, I shouldn't mention that. It's my opinion, but um, it's uh, I, I just see from personal experience that uh, it um, it always seems that. Uh, well, I, I completely I completely agree with you. I, I mean, not only that, but you have to understand that these comments are following that military victories. I mean, I'm sure that if they were on the losing end they would not be coming out and saying, oh, we're going to stay until 2014 and beyond. And this is just simply saying it because they just made a couple of victories here and there on the, you know, on the scale as they wanted to kind of get back to the rebels. In fact, USA Today is saying that rebels are complaining that they have not been given any heavy arms to fight the regime. So, you know, it's not like the rebels have any options to go on. It's not like they have anywhere to... Um, for this. It's not like they actually have the the kind of capacity to fight the regime as much as Assad is making it seem. Oh, they're you know we're gonna defeat them. We're gonna do it. No, they don't have anything to fight with. They you know the military has the advantage of it. But the U.S. and and John John Kerry himself has announced on Thursday this past Thursday that the Obama administration has committed to give an additional sixty million dollars in assistance to Syria's rebels. And right. this would, they would, for the first time, provide non-lethal aid directly to the rebels. So they would actually be dealing directly with the rebels to give them non-lethal aid, um, you know, medicine and stuff like that. Uh, however, Assad is actually saying quite the opposite. He says, well, the intelligence, communication, financial assistance being provided is very lethal. Well, you know, you could, you could argue that. Sure, I can see where he's coming from. But at the same time, it's nowhere near... That where it could be if if uh, the U.S. really decided to help them out and, and take them out. So, you know, maybe it's not in his best interest to say that, but, you know, he's still going to go on and be a dictator and say the things that he really wants to say, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Yes. So. With that being said, that that's a, a good question. Hey, Klaus, I have a question for you. We did mention earlier in our preview that uh, we were going to talk about the Supreme Court not hearing the campaign finance case and corporate donations? Oh, yes. That's one of our topics. Yes. Fill us in on that. Um, well, yeah, the Supreme Court um, 
they're not going to hear the case, right? They said they're not going to hear the case of uh, corporate finance. Yeah, I'm actually um, I'm actually not familiar with that. So uh, why are they not hearing it? What's the uh, what's the issue? I don't remember the exact reason, but uh, well, not that the Supreme Court really has to give a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are the Supreme Court. If they don't feel like doing something, they don't have to do it. So I have to see where they come from. Yeah, Supreme Court not hearing the. Um, that's an interesting decision. I wonder if it was motioned by John Roberts, uh, the, uh, the Chief Justice. Um, yeah, according to the Christian Science Monitor, uh, which is uh, popular online and uh, in print uh, newspaper, and, and we've had guests from the Christian Science Monitor on our show uh, in the past, um, they, uh, the Supreme Court motion not to uh, hear the uh, campaign finance uh, case for various reasons, um, which I'm getting right now. Um, and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you on this, but uh, there, there were various reasons uh, why um, they... Uh, the Supreme Court decided not to hear it. Uh, they, they decided that it was not really the time to uh, hear this case. Uh, it was a Supreme. It made it to the Supreme Court, but then they turned it down, uh, which is typical uh, when you have a big caseload. Um, uh, and this is related mainly to campaign finance. And, uh, in the Supreme Court, a ban on contributions to candidates and corporations has been in effect since 1907. On Monday, February, uh, back in February 25th, the Supreme Court turned down a campaign finance case seeking to allow such contributions uh, the, the U.S. declined the, the, the U.S. the, the SCOTUS the, the U.S. SCOTUS declined on Monday to take up a case testing whether a century-long ban on political contributions to candidates and corporations violates the corporation's freedom of speech. So first, so the First Amendment. The action came without comment by the justices. At issue in, this, in the case was a section of federal election law that permits contributions of up to 2,500 from individuals, partnerships, and limited liability companies, but campaign finance laws ban the same amount when coming from the corporate treasury. The ban on corporate contributions to candidates has been in effect since 1907, like mentioned. The case, Daniel Sezik, C-Z-Y-K, versus United States, arose in the wake of the, of the high court's controversial 2010 decision in Citizens United versus the Federal Elections Commission. In this case, the Supreme Court, J.B. Rota, who's currently on assignment, as if it's legal stuff, you would probably know a lot about this case. Uh, in the Citizens United case, the Supreme Court ruled that corporations are entitled under the First Amendment, like I mentioned before, 
to spend unlimited corporate money while making independent political expenditures during election season. The justices struck down a ban on such expenditures, saying that corporations enjoy free speech rights just as individuals do. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we need to get JV back. Definitely mm-hmm. to talk about uh, these legal issues. Um, hey, but, Ethan, uh, we got we got some uh, breaking news here coming out of uh, this. Probably news. not. This, this really isn't related that much to legal issues, but however, it could be. Uh, this is coming out of Reuters right now. Um, the popular note sharing service Evernote. You probably know about it. We we use right. ourselves. Showdoc. The service says that hackers had stolen some user data from there. They managed to breach the computer network and access some usernames, email addresses, and encrypted passwords. And uh, Evernote has actually went ahead and reset the passwords of its 50 million users in order wow. to prevent further leaks. Did so they know who caused it? Uh, at this time, no. They said that they're still investigating. Uh, although it does follow a similar pattern pattern of cyber attacks on internet-based companies in recent weeks, um, they said that they have found no evidence that any content you store in Evernote was accessed, changed, or lost. They also don't have any evidence that any payment information to Evernote Premium or Evernote Business Tech customers was accessed. However, they declined to say how many exact accounts were exposed and whether it might be possible that the hackers were able to unscramble the encrypted passwords. Um, so, you know, we're uh, they're saying that Evernote now joins a list of companies that include Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, and Twitter that disclose cyber attacks. This is and, uh, what's that? You mentioned the site Evernote, Evernote as an E V E R N O T E. Yep, Evernote. That's the one. Yeah, that's actually. Uh, a uh, side note, that's actually, we, um, John and I use that for our system show, system showdown. We use Evernote. Uh, yeah, so and, well, keep in mind, keep in mind, the hackers might have gotten that information, so definitely look into changing your password. John is our uh, um, host of our system showdown, co-host of, with Ethan Quasman of our sister show, System Showdown, on the Showdoc Network. So, um, right. yeah, it's definitely something to think about. Um they say that although Twitter was the only company that reported to its users that they were hacked, uh, where they actually reset passwords for $250,000 accounts, I'm sorry, 250,000 accounts, um, the companies have mentioned that it was a bug in the Java software uh, that the hackers exploited. Uh, however, uh, a representative for Evernote says that the hackers did not exploit a bug in the Java when they broke into the company's system, and they had actually directly accessed some information like usernames and email addresses. So uh, this is coming out at our Reuters, breaking news. Uh, if, you are, if you do have Evernote, uh, don't be surprised if you get a message telling you that your password has been reset. Is this something that the FCC would look into? I don't know. That's whether they're, they're uh, the, 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 the Federal Communications Commission I'm not sure if that's really a line of work, but um I don't think I don't think I don't think the FCC really has any control over what goes on in that private company's web server, to be honest with you. Right. So. I I really you know, I think that kind they're kinda of limited. The internet is pretty much uh, <laughs> the wild west out there. Anybody can do anything. 
however, however, on that note, though, on, on Friday, the um, U.S. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers said that negotiations with the White House on a new cybersecurity bill have resumed. Uh, so looks like the lawmakers are working very closely with the Department of Homeland Security and other government agencies to plan out a way of, of um, defending against cyber attacks without without um, breaking any any laws or going against uh, uh, you know any illegal activities. If you know earlier there was um, there there was this talk about SOPA and you know stopping the the freedom of information continuing to be allowed and not being you know accused innocent uh, webmasters so i think this is something that is coming back as well but um you know there's also talks about some foreign intelligence uh agents actually doing the hacking and it could be the work of iranian chinese and and uh possibly let me see who else would they mention here generally iran and chinese and saudi um, representatives of the intelligence services that are doing the hacking, so that that's upon investigation. So we'll see if, if there's a law that's going to be passed. And right now, um, they're they're working on some cybersecurity bills, primarily um, to build support amongst allies and also to confront any kind of economic espionage from China and other countries. So we'll see how that's going to work out in the long run. So, uh, yeah, again, you know, this is becoming a big issue now, cybersecurity. A lot of companies are getting hacked. And uh, I guess the best advice that we can give is just to uh, watch watch what you do, keep track of your um, Internet passwords, and definitely be careful if you see something from an unknown source. So it's not politics as usual, well, yeah, it's it's not necessarily politics, but I think it's definitely a legal issue concerned as far as you know people's privacy is concerned, as far as you know the expectation of privacy. You think that when you submit your information to a company and you put a username and password, that the information you submit is secure. But as you know, there have been many studies done where people tend to use and look. I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty of this too, using the same password over and over and over again for various right. websites, and, you know, the hackers are able to get their hands on just one password, they could, you know, essentially cripple a whole bunch of your different um, networks, a whole bunch of your different websites, and, and use your information for bad things. Yeah, so, that uh, part of the Fox News Twitter account was, uh, was, was hacked. Um, you know, they, uh, they got the, the, the hackers got yeah. the password and it's, so I think it is it is definitely a legal issue. It's definitely a question of whether, you know, we can have a reasonable expectation of privacy if we submit certain information to the website. Just how much, how far are the webmasters going in protecting the information that is submitted to them, especially when there's millions and millions of users involved. You know, the more dependent that we become on mobile phones and all these different devices, you know, all this information could be very dangerous. You know, one, one concern of mine that I've been having lately, as far as the legal issues concerned, almost everybody, and you probably know this, Ethan, uh, you own an iPhone, correct? Yes, I'm, I'm calling, I'm using one right now. <laughs> oh, exactly. So on that iPhone, you have a GPS function, or at least a, a tracking, a locating function, and sometimes you allow certain apps, uh, let's call Facebook or 
some other apps when you check in uh, Foursquare, they actually track your location. Right, GPS. Right. Did you ever think that that could be used for some malicious things? Uh, I hope not. Somebody knows. Somebody knows your location twenty four seven. Nobody yep, could theoretically know exactly where you are at any point during the day. Wow. They could even set up a tracker that could track where you go regularly. They could track what you do, what places you visit. That's some dangerous information right there. That's just one example. I'm not even talking about the examples of any financial questions that you might have or anything that you use your iPhone to store any financial-related information. So that's that's something for you to think about for a minute there. Sure. Definitely. Anyways, moving on to something else. Uh, again, going back to my Washington, D.C. visit, uh, here's something fun from Washington. AFP is reporting that Romney, in his first interview since losing the uh, White House race, has likened his experience as a presidential candidate to an unpredictable and bumpy roller coaster ride. Wow. What do you think of that? Do you think he was on a roller coaster? I think so. I, it was uh, it was definitely a lot of new terrain for him. Uh, and uh, the, uh, I think he actually he actually got a lot closer this year than he had in any of his previous attempts. Uh, I think he really had a good momentum going in certain moments. And you know, with all due respect, obviously President Obama did a phenomenal job at the election during the election season as well. But I think you got to give it to Mitt Romney. He was a formidable opponent. He did very well in the primaries. Uh, against a number of opponents, and, you know, he really kept the momentum going until almost the very end. And, um, you know, of course, as they say, he made the best man win, and clearly it was President Barack Obama who had the, uh, more of the votes. But uh, I think, you know, if you look at the popular vote, uh, Mitt Romney had a sizable uh, amount of people voting for him, and you can't ignore that. You really can't ignore that. He definitely had his supporters. Sure, he might not have won when it comes to, um, you know, people who, who are leaning more leaning towards President Obama's policies, but at the same time, you can't ignore those people that have voted for um, Mitt Romney and have actually disagreed with President Obama's views. So, you know, with that, with that in mind, I can understand why he can, compares it to a roller coaster ride. There was a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of Especially during the debates, we we covered that on the legal docket here. We know how those debates were just very crucial. A lot of people have tuned in, and you know it's just one of those one of those important ways where you know somebody can really make a difference. And this was one of the closest races we've had in recent history, I think. Right, and. Uh... I wonder if uh, Romney's thinking about 2016. Again, that's a long way down the line. But uh, uh, we, I know that uh, that definitely time based like Marco Rubio are thinking about 2016. So, um, well, of course, you can't, you can't rule out. You can't rule out. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Chris Christie. He was a very, very. He was a very, very big. You know, no pun intended. He was a very, very big, um, had a big impact on or during the the election year. No and pun intended. That's that's a good one. Oh, oh yeah. 
<laughs> well, I try. <laughs> but uh, he had a very big impact on really galvanizing the country, and especially when we saw just how bipartisan he could be uh, during right after Hurricane Sandy when he had President right. Obama visit. And, you know, there was a lot of talk going on about just how far out of the way he went to welcome President Obama, even in an election season, and to be able to connect with somebody who's from an opposite party. Uh, I think he connected with a lot of voters, not so much his party, but definitely a lot of voters, and I think that there could be another new push that we can see um, probably in 2015 and 2016 to get him on the ballot, to get him going, and to see if we can get him either as a primary candidate or maybe as a as a uh, vice president candidate. So. Yeah, a big issue is going to be for the next couple of years at least, definitely right now, which I want to get into, is gun control. I mentioned on Twitter, on our legal docket, Twitter at twitter.com slash legal docket or at, or at legal docket, that one of the issues, one of the topics we discussed tonight will be gun control. And um, some there's one issue in Colorado where a company says they will move this is reported by Fox News. A company will move if Colorado approves gun control. Um, uh, noticed amid dozens of, of tract homes in, in Denver sub, suburbs, a nondescript industrial building is suddenly in the middle of the gun control debate in Colorado. The company started in an ex-Marines basement in 1999 is in a standoff with Colorado Democrats who want to restrict the size of ammunition magazines after mass shootings in the, in the suburban Denver movie theater in Colorado and at, at Newtown. Um, Matt Poole has, has issued lawmakers. I think Matt Poole is the, uh, to the governor. I don't know what his position is. He's issued lawmakers an ultimatum potentially worth millions Pass the bill and the business will move. Oh, uh, I think uh, that's one of the company uh, owners. It is a bold threat from company that by its founders and mission has distanced itself from politics. The, the people who wrote the bill didn't even know it existed in the state, said Richard Fitzpatrick, who is the founder and president of the company, one of the company's large producers of magazines and other firearm accessories for gun enthusiasts, law enforcement, and the military. A warning from Erie Basin... Oh, the company's name is Magpul. That's the company's name. Magpul. It's not the last name. The warning from Erie-based Magpul underscores the political pressures Democrats are weighing as they advanced the strictest gun control measures lawmakers have ever considered in a state that still prizes frontier spirit. Other gun control proposals include universal background checks, a ban on concealed firearms on campuses and holding assault weapon sellers and owners liable for shootings. Opponents need only three Democrats in the Senate to vote no uh, against the magazine proposal defeated, and two have already said they won't support the bill, but most Democrats are not budging. Uh, one Democratic Senator, Jesse Ulibarri, said, when you have the means available to you at every single corner to commit a horrendous act, we will continue to see what we've seen, which is the status quo, where unfortunately gun violence and violence in general is prevalent in our communities. Uh, the uh, bill has already been has already passed the House, and Democratic Governor John Hickenlooper has promised to sign it. 
The bill would make it a crime to have magazines that carry more than 15 rounds with a strict limit of eight, of eight for shotguns. People who own magazines, larger magazines, now would be allowed to keep them. As the debate unfolds, states have made overtures to Magpul, including offering to buy their moving costs. The company won't name the states, but Wyoming and Texas have expressed interest in naming the $85 billion company project, in the $85 billion the company projects it will spend in Colorado next year in payments to suppliers, subcontractors, and service providers. The company said the move would also impact its 200 employees, plus additional 400 work for suppliers and subcontractors. So this is a big gun control debate in Colorado where the, where the theater shooting was, and... Um, it's a uh, it's a big issue. Uh, it's a big it's a big state issue, and uh, we'll see if it if it becomes a federal issue, which it already has become. But uh, Ilya, I don't know about you, but I think that uh, um, every state should really be taking an interest in reducing gun control and uh, making it harder for people to get a, a hold of ammunition. Don't you think so? Yeah, you know, I talked about this a long, a very long time ago. We we definitely covered this. And I said, you know what? In the coming year, this is going to be a big issue. I mentioned it before. Yeah. I'm only going to say it all over again. This is a big issue. Gun control is definitely, I think, going to be on people's minds. Uh, you know, there were a lot of events that happened in 2012. We had several shootings. Uh, we had the kids in Newtown, which was really awful. But uh, you know, yeah. I said it back then. This was going to be a big issue. And does it surprise me? Of course not. Yeah, we know this is going to happen. We knew this was going to be a situation where people are going to get vocal about it. This is, you know, I, I hate to say it, but gun control is becoming a new gay marriage. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to do something about it, but nobody knows what to do. Right. And, you know, it's an evolving issue. It's something that I think is going to come up in government. It's something that's going to come up at election season. Um, there is no easy solution. There is no easy solution. Second Amendment exists. The... You know, people have very strong views both for and against gun control, and I don't think there's any simple solution. I think people really have to try to see the other side. Is that possible? I don't know, because as we've seen in the past with issues like this, people are not willing to see the other side, and it's unfortunate because if they did, they would be able to see that there's more to both sides than meets the eye. You can't just look at one side and make up your mind. You've got to be able to look at it from both sides and say, well, this is not for me, but it may be for you. So maybe the compromise can be had if people are willing to look at both sides. But the more polarized we're becoming, the more people are separating into separate groups, I don't see a resolution anytime soon. And I think this is going to be an ongoing issue. And believe me when I tell you, Ethan, and and you know this because I say this all the time, we're going to be coming back to this question again and again and again over and over and over. This is not the last time we hear about gun control, and, and this is not the last time you're going to hear about it from uh, from the legal docket. And, again, right. it's a major issue. And, again, it's the same thing that we hear over and over and over again. It just kind of keeps repeating it. It's like a, a broken record in a loop. And, you know, there's not going to be a resolution until people are ready to sit down and say, okay, I have an open mind. I want to look at this in a different situation. I want to look at it from your point of view. Tell me about it. I don't see that happening at any point. Right. I just want to switch gears to one last topic here. We have five minutes left in the program. 
with Ilya Arbit live from Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. And um, you mentioned about Mitt Romney earlier. And Romney is planning to return to the national stage, right, Ilya? He's uh, planning to uh, um, to reemerge uh, on the national stage after nearly four months in seclusion at his South California home. Sounds a lot like President Bush, who is who who seemed to after after the election uh, in 2009 seemed to stay in seclusion in Texas until. Uh, being called back to the White House to help with Haiti and, and their um, and their earthquake with, um, with with former President Bill Clinton, but former aides have described Romney's personal activity this month: a national broadcast interview, a speech at a gathering of conservatives, as a thank you tour of sorts, uh, designed to close out a lengthy political career. But his party isn't clamoring for his return. However, in his first public comments in months, Romney used a Fox News interview to, to criticize President Barack Obama's leadership. The former governor said Obama has been flying around the country and berating Republicans and blaming and pointing instead of preventing Washington's latest budget crisis. In about two weeks, Romney is to deliver his first poll election speech at a conservative political action conference in Washington, where uh, Ilya currently is. A few Republican governors who aggressively supported Romney's presidential bid last fall offered lukewarm responses in recent days to the question of Romney's future role in the GOP. Conservative leaders suggest they're ready for a new era without a prominent Romney role. So to close out here... Um, if, I can get, if I can get one last thing before we close out. There's a funny yeah. story I literally just found. Um, apparently... Uh, Today, there was a disclosure earlier today by the uh, Obama administration uh, regarding uh, the names of the list of fundraisers by uh, the re-election campaign to reflect the fourth quarter contributions of last uh, of last year, which was right at the very end, right as the elections came up. And one name that was among the new updated list of the fundraisers was that of Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, uh, again, that fourth quarter began October 1st, which was just over a month before Election Day, and it shows that uh, the Jada, and Will, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith have raised uh, something north of $500,000 uh, to the uh, Obama campaign, and actually they said part of that could be that in late October, the couple had hosted a fundraising luncheon in their, in their home for First Lady Michelle Obama. That event sold 250 tickets at a minimum of $2,500 per plate. That's $2,500 per plate. So, uh, again, we we all know that Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith were big supporters of President Obama, but now it's official. They're on the list of fundraisers, and it was uh, it was there. And, um, you know, just, just showing you more celebrity names who are out there uh, not only voicing their, um, obviously, support for President Obama, but actually putting them on their the money where the mouth is and giving him up to $500,000 to spend on his re-election. So uh, I think on that note, it'll be a great finish for us here. Uh, talked a lot of politics here today, talked a lot of uh, local domestic politics, something we don't really get to do a lot, uh, particularly with me being here, right here in Washington, D.C. 
Uh, I wasn't able to be on Jabber.org today, but uh, by all means, be sure to send us an email or give us a call, voicemail, if you have any questions or concerns, and uh, we'll, or Facebook messages, Twitter. Uh, by all means, uh, we can see if we can get it in at any time that I'm here. I can see if I can uh, come across any politicians. I can definitely give them a yeah. shout-out. And uh, who knows? Maybe your questions can get asked at the next interview that we have or next appearance that I get a chance to uh, speak to them in person. So, uh, once again, this is Billy Arbit here on the Legal Docket, live from Washington, D.C. today. Uh, not on my regular spot on Staten Island. We'll be back home next week. So, uh, looking forward to that show, and we'll be back on Sunday night once again. Uh, this is a special Saturday edition uh, due to other commitments. And, uh, Ethan, thank you for allowing me to be on your show tonight, as always. Yeah, as always. And uh, I'm Ethan Clausen. Talk to you next time. Have a great night. Good night. Have a good one.